Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it, we talk a lot. We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know, but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. Hi, all, and welcome. This week, we're talking about grief and change with Julia Samuel. Julia is a leading psychotherapist in the UK and has had her own private practice for almost 30 years after working for the NHS. She founded a bereavement service for children and has a best-selling book, Grief Works. While she's an incredible therapist, she also has a new book, This Too Shall Pass, in which she draws on hours of conversations with her patients to show how we can learn to adapt and thrive during our most difficult and transformative experiences. Julia, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm so honored to be with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me as well. I've I've been listening to a lot of um, different interviews with you and obviously reading your books. And I think to a very timely conversation with World Mental Health Day, a very timely conversation with the past year and a half, two years, whatever, it feels whatever like day two we're years. at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the, the whole year plus that we've lost now. So I think what I'd love to start just though is we, how you got interested in these topics, how you got into this field. I mean, I think like most people, it was from my childhood, you know, there's a frame walking wounded, often therapists and people in health professions have their influences from their own past. And mine was that my parents, my mother and father, who fought, well, my dad fought in the Second World War, they were children of the First World War, parents who fought in the First World War, and they both had very significant Losses. So my mum, by the time she was 25, her mother, her father, her sister and her brother had all died. Oh, wow. She was the only survivor in her family. And then my dad, his father and his brother had died. And then they married and had five children and they never talked about those deaths. So there were these black and white photographs around the house that I didn't really know. I vaguely knew one was a grandparent. I vaguely knew one was an uncle. I didn't know he'd been killed in the war. I knew nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think that what wasn't said unconsciously gave me a massive curiosity to know what isn't being said. Right. What the hell is going on below the (laughs) waterline? You know, there were all these things and nothing, none of the conversations matched anything that made any sense to me. 
Mm-hmm. And also I'm a twin. So I have a twin brother, Hugo. Okay. And I think I'm wired to connect. Like when you're in the womb, you suck each other's thumbs, you're pressed into each other's faces, your elbows are entwined. And I think I just always long for connection. I mean, you could call that neediness, but I managed to make it into a profession where I I get my needs met by meeting the needs of other people. And that feels a wonderfully, you know, I'm very lucky. I feel like I get more than I ever give in finding a job that I really love and have done for 30 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about both grief and change today. And I think, you know, you just talked about their grief associated when someone passes and I, and I want to stick there for a minute. So why aren't we grieving? Like what? And, and I relate this to my own personal experience in a way, like I have had a lot of loss over the past year in an organization that I'm involved with. I have a charity that supports young women with cancer and we've had six young women die over this past year. And we, as a charity are, are talking about grief more. So that's why I was really excited to talk to you today because why are we not talking about it to begin with? So let's start there. (laughs) I mean, we could have the whole podcast on that. But I think the basic, I mean, I think, funnily enough, one of the words that you use, like people passed, we don't Mm. like the reality of death. You know, I say Mm. when people die and we use we use euphemisms to kind of soften the blow passed away a lot. We don't use death and dying. They died. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think. Some of it is that, that we we have a kind of magical thinking that if I let myself think about my own death or the people that I love, although I know that is inevitable, it's the one thing that's sure, somehow I will hasten it. And if I don't look at it, if I don't think about it, then somehow it won't happen. But also we're frightened of suffering. You know, particularly, I think, in the 21st century, we kind of think if I get the fast track app and I and I'm clever and smart enough and I build, you know, my good habits, somehow I'll avoid suffering and I'll make myself this perfect curated person that is just happy all the time. And life, you cannot avoid suffering. Grieving is part of life. It's as part of life as joy. You know, love and loss are two sides of the same coin. And we keep wanting to forget about and ignore the loss. But we can't. We can't, If we do, we, we do it at our peril because we then don't have the crucial opportunities to have the connections, to have the opportunities or the insight to understand ourselves when we're grieving. So, when I mean, I can hear my voice getting higher and higher, but when, when people come to me, they feel like they're failing when they're hurting. And my first kind of message is sort of psychoeducation. This is what grief is like. It's messy. It's chaotic. It hurts like hell. You know, pain is the agent of change. And you somehow think you should be doing it tidily. You can do it in the Kubler-Ross steps, you know, one, two, three, four. Right. And I know I've listened, I've been learning a little bit more about grief and like this idea that there's these stages of grief, but it kind of goes all over the place, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And she and never the, meant it, Kubler-Ross never meant it to be as step-like as it's now become. Okay. okay. Um, Fair she enough. was much more um, embodied that we, we, it's a process. 
you know, and it comes and it hits us when we don't want it. And the key, I keep on interrupting you, but I'm just going to No, get no, no, go out. ahead, go ahead. The key is that we have love and support to ourselves, that we turn to ourselves with compassion and love and support from others when we are suffering. Mm-hmm. And it is the things that we do to block our own pain. And often we turn against ourselves. We get angry and criticize ourselves that in the end do us most harm. Mm-hmm. And that we need to allow this natural process of adaptation to come through our system and change us. And that is an uncomfortable at one end, horrible, painful business at another end um, that we can't fight. Mm-hmm. Well, and you you talked about happiness because I think we're all just and I love that you said it perfectly. We're all just like uh, trained and wired to be positive and happy. And so really, I mean, you you answered my question that how do how do we grieve? And it sounds like really going through that, but being like um, patient with yourself. Yes, I guess. Right. Like I, I lack that a lot. <laughs> And there really is no timeline to this, right? Like it, yeah, yeah. I mean, grief, you know, the first thing people say to me when they come through my door is, am I doing it wrong? No. And two, how long is it going to take? You know, when am I better? When is it over? So how long is it going to (laughs) take? My answer is unbelievably annoying. My answer is it takes longer than you want and it hurts more than you ever wish. Mm-hmm. But if you fight it and block it, then you can stay stuck. So what you do to block it, if you're emotional, you know, people are listening, but if they imagine themselves as emotional bandwidth, if you have joy one end and pain the other, when you block your pain, you incrementally block your capacity to feel joy. You can't just block the bad bits. So you function fine, but your ability to engage and have joy in life gets foreshortened. And then when when bad stuff happens again, which it will, you don't, you're more brittle. You don't have the resilience and the capacity to surf it and go with it. So you become angrier and more pissed off and difficult, like the world is against me, rather than kind of recognizing your limits and what you can't control and supporting yourself in it. That was a perfect, that illustrated that so nicely for me. So thank you for that. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And we, you know, we talked about that piece of grief and death, but there's also, and you explained to me earlier, a, a grief that we're all experiencing right now, right? So of living losses. Can can you talk us through that and why that's so relevant to this past year and a half? Yes. And I think living losses is losses that we experience all through life, but in COVID, I don't think there's anyone on the planet. So it could be loss of your job, loss of the, the birthdays that you were going to have, loss of time with your parents, loss of structure, loss of trust in life and health, loss of relationships, loss of money, you know, so many, but they're invisible losses. You go outside, the street looks the same, but you look inside and you feel very different. And they're experienced like grief, the feelings of anger, fear, uncertainty, like you've been thrown into this alien planet, you don't know your way around and you don't have the map and you can feel frozen and confused and like, hell, what what am I going to do? I can't predict the future. And so then you often, and this happens in grief from death, your relationship with time is altered and you look back with longing at the past and you look at the future with fear. Hmm. And then you get like locked, like I can't go forward. I can't go back. And there isn't anyone I've met, including myself, that hasn't had that at some level. And they've experienced grief. And is that fear for you talked about the fear for what's to come, which we're probably all experiencing that right now. Does is that what the anxiety is? I think there's tons of anxiety. The reasons. Okay. So some of the anxiety is through lack of connection. That okay. we, we are wired to be in relationship. We wired, we regulate in relationship. We can regulate ourselves by, you know, exercising, doing meditation, doing yoga, all of those things. But the thing that metabolizes our where we feel most safe is in relationship with another. Like I feel better looking at you than I did at the screensaver. I feel calmer. Like before I didn't know what you were going to be like. Do you know what I mean? So when I'm with you, even if it's virtually, it's better than on my own. Mm -hmm. So I think there's anxiety from that. There's anxiety that people's belief that they can make a plan, you know, holidays, the nice things, what the future holds. In reality, there has always been uncertainty, but we've been shown levels of uncertainty that in the 21st century we've never had to face before. Mm -hmm. And so we long for more certainty at a time when most likely unlikely to get it. 
And what I talk about is that where certainty ends, hope begins, that we have to stop trying to kind of nail my holiday in France in June, but have hope that I can have France holiday in France in June and where hope is there's sort of sunshine and energy but you don't kind of try and tie yourself down to something that's fixed and having realistic hopes does that make Mm -hmm. sense absolutely and I'm relating to that completely (laughs) yeah it does it will and also for those that maybe are more type a than others and do have you know follow that calendar and follow that sequence it's it must be even a little bit more so for, for that type of personality, I guess, right. That maybe isn't as go with the flow. I mean, I'm sure it's different for everyone, but yeah, I guess that that's where that anxiety comes. Have you heard that new term that they've coined? I think it's called languish. Oh yes. I saw Adam Grant wrote about that. Yeah. Can can you talk a little bit about that? Completely. Can I just say one more thing about anxiety? I think is that it's a health pandemic alongside a mental health pandemic. So before we didn't see the people that we need most as vectors of of illness. So, you know, people, young people, adult children can't go and see their grandparents or their parents because they're terrified of killing their grandparents. But also going in the street, doing all the ordinary things, shopping, you know, buying your groceries, seeing a friend in the stranger. Everyone is now seen as an alien threat to your health rather than an opportunity to have a conversation. How do and how do we get out of that? Like, how are we going to get away from that? I think it's a slow process. I think, you know, our trust in health will change. I mean, I think some people will wear masks forever you know, and they will feel more scared. So I ha- we're allowed to meet people outside. So I had a meeting of, of a book club and it was so interesting. There's nine of us. One person came with her mask. She wouldn't hug us. She sat at the, she's a wonderful woman. And I, you know, and this is no judgment just to show how different we are. One person sat at the end of the table about four metres from others. Others thought, oh God, I'm going to hug everybody. And other people were kind of in between. And some people didn't feel safe enough to come. And I think that's a kind of, you know, a a version of the population that all of us are going to react to. And I know for myself, it's different depending on the day. Exactly. Your mood. You can wake up like everything is, oh, I am not going outside. Another day is like, oh, you know, let's give it a go. Yeah. Let's try life today. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, so that living loss and that grief that we're all experiencing also kind of uh, transition nicely into change, right? Which is another area that you, you speak about and, and have a lot of knowledge in. Can you talk to us a little bit about how maybe the two are related? Like just change seems to come with change, does grief come or from grief, does change follow? Like how, what's the, how are the two related? I think from change, grief follows, even if it's change that we want. So the sort of premise of this two shall pass is the only thing that is certain in life is change apart from death Mm -hmm. is that we, we would like to be able to be certain, but we cannot predict. And the things that matter to us most, like the health, I mean, we, we can influence our own health by our lifestyle choices and the health of people around us. 
but you know, someone young getting cancer or your charity, you can't control that by anything. Bolts from the blue come out of the blue, a boyfriend breaking up with you, getting divorced, losing your job, you know, the economic uncertainty, the structural uncertainty, that it's intensified now, but that has always been part of life. You know, mm-hmm. and we change through life. You know, I'm a grandmother now, so every relationship I've had with my children from little babies to getting married to being adult parents is change. Mm-hmm. And so my message is that we have to learn to live with the change and let it change us and adapt us and go with it because then we're more likely to flourish and to think with the languishing languishing to me is like this um limbo land where we're not in the crisis of anxiety sort of hyper arousal and we're not in the bit I'm part I'm through the other door I'm kind of enjoying myself I'm like the oof kind of gray place which is different from what I talk about in the process of change which is the fertile void so if you change takes longer than we want and you know you you may have moved house and you think you should enjoy your new house at the speed of your removal van but actually it takes you a while to kind of find your way around the neighborhood to make friends to feel like this is home your change takes longer than you want and often there's this between the end of one thing the process of change and the beginning of jumping into this new thing and embracing it is what i call a fertile it's not my term it's a gestalt term from fritz pals a fertile void which is this trying stuff out naming it going back and i think quite a lot of people are in that space now along with languishing is like in my new version of myself am i going to go to work three days a week am i gonna work from home am i going to go out less in the evenings maybe i'm going to go out more and you're kind of experimenting with pictures of themselves do i care as my perception of what matters in the world changed am i going to go for the planet now before it was money now it's like no or mm-hmm. health or whatever it is i mean a friend of mine who was in a sort of big business she's training to be a nurse now she's wow. 50 wow and yes. i mean by 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 volunteering doing 2000 vaccines she's now training to be a nurse that's amazing. What a, yeah, you know, it's definitely a time of where we're all, and I, I relate very much to that, try this, pull back, do I do this next, do that next. So it's interesting. It's always reassuring to hear that that is normal. Um, normal, yeah. <laughs> so that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, the purpose of my book in a way, and these conversations, is to normalize what feels abnormal that you feel that you're failing, everyone else has got it sorted. But actually, these feelings aren't in your control and they're agents of change. They're signals that you need to pay attention to. It's not that you're not doing this right. It's that life is a messy, chaotic business for one thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I love the way this too shall pass is written and you've touched on it, but it's essentially, it's organized into six kind of areas. So family relationships, love, work, health, identity, and patient stories that are told within that. And why I loved that is because it's not that every story was exactly, you know, my story, but I would say like, 
majority, like 80% of, of each of those stories, there was at least one thing that like clicked for me, maybe even more actually, to be honest, maybe closer to 90, 95, but there was one nugget that I was like, ah, yes, that will relate to me and my mother's relationship or that relates to me in, in dating relationships. So yeah, I thought that that was, how did you come up with that format? Because I, I think the most personal is the most universal and actually you do it in your podcast. Let's talk about it. Let's tell stories. We understand ourselves through stories. And I think our most intimate, true stories behind the mask stories are the ones that we learn the most, not when we're putting on a show and like, you know, presenting it at a party or, you know, at your job, but showing the messy kind of stuff. And also I think... I wanted to take therapy out of this sort of hidden, magical, mystical place and show that I'm just a human being who's a good listener who writes about it. You know, I have no, I'm as annoyed, pissed off, sad, ineffective, you know, fail as much as anybody else. And that I do my best to keep in tune with the relationships, but that we learn about each other in relationship. And I think, I think if there's a message that's transferable is that, by listening to each other, properly listening, we learn about ourselves and we learn about others, listening more than transmitting probably. And what what makes for, like, just tactically, what makes for some good listening skills? Because I feel like we could all probably use a little refresher on that sometimes in a world where we're all so plugged into phones and technology. What are some ways that we can become a better listener and, and develop those relationships? Because you've touched on how important those are, right? I think part of it is awareness, like being aware of what is you know, the chatter in your own head. So often we're listening to someone and a third of our mind is rehearsing our answer that might be a competitive one or it might be trying to be clever or it might be to sort of interpret it or it comes from a curiosity. Oh, so. Whereas if you kind of dial down your own chatter and one of the sort of images for listening is that you listen with your eyes, your ears, and your heart. And that when you really pay attention, quiet in your own mind, you re, you know, we, we, 70% of communication, some people say 80 is nonverbal. Like we read each other's faces and you're just absorbing the words and then slow it down. I think often we talk so damn, I mean, I've been useless at listening right now. I, this is like a, <laughs> A masterclass of how to transmit and not listen. It's interesting. As you're going through it, I'm thinking I'm, I'm listening versus trying not to think of, okay, what else do I want Julia to cover? (laughs) And I think to Oprah in a way, because I think, Oprah. She, I mean, she must be probably the best listener in the world. She's amazing. She's a really good listener. Because I feel like she, she'll pause, right? Like she'll take those like, Mm. I need a second on that, which kind of shows that she's actually listening in a way. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Like, because as I'm talking to you, as someone who's like, quote unquote, interviewing you, I want to obviously, you know, hit on the topics we want to hit on, but I also want to be in a conversation. And so I'm realizing now that that's what she does. Like she's listening. And so she doesn't have it like bullet pointed. She's pausing and, and 
thinking about it. So I think one of the things she does, and actually you've done with me, is attune to the journey the conversation is taking. So okay. you may have had some targets that you wanted to hit kind of uh, along the top of your head in some way, like I might with a client. Like I may remember from a last session something in particular that I somehow want to, but you're not controlling me. You attune and meet me where I am and respond to what I'm saying. So your your response just then was totally in response to what I was saying. It's like not you were rehearsing at one level and not rehearsing at another. Mm-hmm. So I feel met. I feel really hurt. Okay. Because well, you were good. a long line. You were a lot, you, if you'd sort of jumped to something else, then I thought. Yeah. Right. Was she paying attention to what I just said? Right. Right. Which is obviously. I mean, so clear that listing is a skill in of itself fair to say I think that's something I need and something that I still need to work on but thank you for that (laughs) and then so the skills of listening what are the the skills of adapting to change because that's something I'd really like as you're talking about change in the spectrum or or that the sorry that was more the the emotion spectrum but as I'm thinking about change and as you're talking about it it feels like there's almost like a you have to take kind of like this step back in like a breath, almost like the way, even just watching your body language, talk about it. It seemed like you kind of like exhaled. So anyway, that's a physical thing, but what with change, how can we better manage it? Because it's, you're right. It's not going to ever stop. Like it's not, it's, and I realize that getting older, I think when you're younger and probably even into your twenties, like you, you spend your life in a school system, right. Where you know, what's coming next. And then in your mid late twenties, you kind of get into the real world. And then that obviously that continues. And so you're, you have a defined kind of thing where change might happen, but it doesn't hit you as hard because you're still in within this structure until you're not in that structure anymore. And now I would say like being in my mid thirties is I'm wrapping my head around change more. So what is there about change that we could start to action or start to develop even now or, or younger, even in, even in our children, or you mentioned your grandchildren, like, is there any ways to teach how to adapt to change? I think the first step is kind of recognizing the signals in your body that often it's just a discomfort. So when everything is going according to plan and you're, you're in your early thirties, you're happy with you know, of those five quartiles, maybe you're happy of love, identity, work, health and, and relationships. You're happy with three or four of them. You know, you feel at peace with yourself. You're going along. You don't. There's no requirement to adapt and change. But something happens. You have a new boss. You don't like him. You kind of think, oh, am I going to be able to build a relationship with him? No, he's an asshole. <laughs> so then you're beginning to think, oh, you know, I was really liking this job, but maybe I'm going to have to change jobs. But all of that in your body is your mind and body is completely interconnected. So your body will send signals that give you thoughts and your thoughts will send signals to your body that can feel like tenseness in your chest, in your tummy. Some people feel, you know, they do it in their fists. So that's a moment. That's a signal like, ha, huh, change is afoot. And probably if I had two things to say, one is. Be kind to yourself, like go, oh, I didn't want this. 
but don't go oh you idiot you fool you should be fine you're so lucky you've got this lovely life you should be so grateful enjoy what you can be grateful for what you have but also recognize the other side like this is shit you don't want this and then do things that help regulate your body exercise your your body goes into fight or flight exercise whatever it is even if it's a 10 minute walk around the block breathing in nature that calms you down that allows you to have more oxytocin to connect with yourself. And then you can start figuring out, okay, so who am I going to talk to? Who can I get support from? Shall I talk to my mum? Shall I talk to my best friend? Shall I talk to my colleague at lunchtime? So who can I begin to reflect on with this? So get support and be aware of what you're saying to yourself. And then you can over time make your plans slowly, but go slowly. Don't kind of hurry. Often I think people go so fast, like the sooner I get this done, I'm going to tell him I'm going to leave. But reflect, support yourself in it and support yourself in lots of ways. I mean, I have eight pillars of strength on my website, which are the things that bodily support you and, and attitudes and ways of thinking. But the biggest is relationship with yourself, relationship with others and your mind, body, like regulate your system. If you do those, you'll probably be okay. Is relationship with self a newer concept in a way like I feel like we're talking more and maybe that's also just like I've been thinking about it more but we're talking more about being kinder to ourselves being you know developing more of a relationship with ourselves than external people is that a newer kind of trend that that or is that just more of like what the media's picked up on a new messaging that we're getting I think it is more new, new messaging. I mean, there's been new research, like thinking about your thinking, which affects how, you know, if you, when you have the capacity to aware what you're thinking, you have insight to what's going on, you have insight to what somebody else is thinking, then your relationships tend to flourish. And that's called mentalization. But okay. I think we, I think those in the therapy world know that secure attachment, I think that what we know is that the two are completely connected, that how you are in relation to to yourself, which I'm sure you know this, is um, what is the wired from your relationship from your your parents or your caregivers. Mm -hmm. And they give you the patterns of behaviour and secure or insecure attachment. And that those affect your relationship to yourself and to the people around you. So they're very interconnected. There's a really interesting book that I read recently called Attached. Is it, it Bowlby you, about Bowlby? Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was funny as I was reading it, though, I was talking to my mom and she's like, so am I just to blame for everything? I know. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. Definitely. <laughs> Sorry, but Yes. Yes. I mean, that is so annoying as a parent, but also to take responsibility. I've had to do so many levels of apologies to my children. It's just awful, but also good. Mm -hmm. Like how you repair is by acknowledging and naming it as much as it's agony as a parent. It's agony because it's not what you ever intended. The hardest job to be a parent, I oh, can imagine. It's the best and the worst, right? Because you can't, where you love most, you hurt most. Right, right. So you worry most. Is there any ways in young children to teach 
to, I guess, to develop that secure attachment or to teach how to adapt to change. Like I, I just see some of how, how my friends um, parent, and I think they do a wonderful job in, in terms of, you know, take a deep breath, like which my parents Time never really did with us. Yeah. That just wasn't the, yeah, that wasn't the psychology that I don't think. Yeah. Is so there those like, what are some little kind of, I guess, tips and tricks for those that are raising children? to kind of develop that security and that atta- that secure attachment, I guess. Slowing down by breathing. Like, uh, th- you know, I saw a nursery group where they put the, uh, a little um, teddy bear on each child's tummy and then told them to calm the teddy bear by their breathing. So the teddy bear would go up as they took a breath in and the teddy bear would go down as they breathed out. So they learned to slow themselves down. And once they could slow themselves down, of course, they're regulated in our terms. And then they could think more clearly, connect more easily mm-hmm. and make better decisions and not. Right. Right. And they're teaching a lot of that in school, right? Like I, from what I've heard, I think kids have meditation time some. now as well. Some. Okay. I hope I guess it's more in Canada. More I mean, not enough here. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, my sister just started teaching kindergarten and I know that she's, she's actually a yoga Reiki teacher. So she's building some of that in, That's which brilliant. I think is so great, which we never, I mean, I never had growing up. So no yeah. yeah, we're definitely, it seems as a society, um, developing more of these tools to, to cope and to grieve and to change. Is that fair to say? Where do you see us? Thanks to like, people like you. Oh, well, Your I don't know generation. Thanks to people like you. <laughs> Your generation, the millennials have brought emotional intelligence to our lives in a way that none of us before you succeeded. Really? Absolutely. I th- you have all, by naming what's going on, by recognizing, by talking about mental health, by not sh- being ashamed of it, by raising awareness of the importance of it, by raising it to your bosses, raising it as an issue at work. I think we've got a, a lot of gratitude to give to to millennials for That's interesting. making this a current conversation that there isn't anybody in work now who doesn't talk about mental health. Mm-hmm, that's and that's, true. that's an amazing thing. What I do think you there's a barrier. I interrupted you. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I love your interruptions are always probably the question I'm going to ask. So keep going. And I interrupt a lot. Maybe that's, see, that's not a good listener. <laughs> yeah. I think people are, are conf- much more confident, which is a fantastic first step. They're aware of it and much more confident talking about mental health. I think there's still a barrier to seek mental health support. So you may say to your friend, darling, I think you need to go and see someone. And they may hit you, actually, because it's really annoying being told that. But, you know, you may say to people or think about it with people, why don't you? But when it comes to yourself, you kind of go, often people go, no, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. Mm -hmm. I mustn't make a fuss. This is just me being weird. Mm -hmm. And what we know from research is the earlier you get help, the better you do. And the younger. So if you're anxious, young, sort it out young. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I'm just thinking back to like my personal experiences with therapy. And yeah, I've definitely done that. Like, oh, I'm okay. I don't need this anymore. Or yeah, why is, why do we do that? Like, even if we're okay to admit and go, and then we're kind of like, no, you know what? I'm actually, I feel okay now. Is it because we actually do feel okay? Or what, what's the psychology behind that? I mean, I do. I. It's so interesting when clients want to stop, and 
I'm in a position where I don't want to make them feel like they have to stay because they're paying me. But also I wonder, are they depriving themselves of actually the most valuable piece of therapy? Because we've worked through the crisis, they feel calmer. And then in that phase, you could really do amazing transformational decision-making and understanding of yourself because you're not batting the door down of, of terror and fear. You're like happy. And then you can really kind of think expansively and creatively. So for some people it is they've done and they just don't want to talk about themselves anymore and there's everything in between. But sometimes I think people sure change themselves because they think I'm just being spoiled or I'm being too entitled or I don't deserve it or any of the messages that they've got going on in their head. I love that you shared that though, because I think when I think of therapy, I think of to get over the crisis or the issue. Yeah. Right. But up with a boyfriend. Yeah. There's like more to it than that. Right. I'm, do you still see, you see patients, you must yes. be very booked up because everything yes. you said right now, like, can you take me in? <laughs> but so you have a private practice as well as, is writing what's coming up next for you. I'm hope to finish a book on families by the end of July. Okay, amazing. So I'm doing case studies of generations of families. So like three or four generations in each family. So like four or five members of a family. So longer case studies. Um, So yeah, I'm excited about it. You know, why was that? Why that topic next? Does it have to do with the secure attachment or? I'm so interested in families. Okay. I'm so interested in what gets passed down generationally, like transgenerational trauma, but also epigenetics, what passed down in in birth, but habits, patterns, looking at my own history. You know, one of um, Monica McGoldrick, an American psychologist, said, if you want to find the answers to your own life, the first place to look is if you look back at the history of the generation's before you the things that weren't said the stories of suicide or being broke or divorce or baby deaths or miscarriage or illness that weren't voiced often those things send kind of toxic messages that have never been dealt with until someone decides to feel the pain so that's what the the patterns of generation stop when someone decides to feel the pain and allows themselves to face the pain and then they can really change that sounds so interesting I, i can't wait to read that yes absolutely no what a what a great kind of next topic. Um, you are an absolute delight, Julia. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So much. I feel like I've had a personal therapy session. I've learned so much. <laughs> it's been such fun and, and a pleasure. Yeah, this was so great. And we will have to have you back when, when fam- the book on family comes out, because I think definitely, well, it needs, needs so to be much- sold to Canada. <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm sure you'll get there. I'm sure it'll get there. But thank you again for being here. Where can we find you? So um, I'm on Instagram, Julia Samuel MBE. And I do lots of little tools for people on grief, like live instas, like two minutes. So that might help people if they are grieving. Um, and I've got a website, www.juliasamuel.co.uk. And that's got my eight pillars of strength and quite a lot of resources all of those things. Amazing. So those are the two main places. Amazing. Well, thank you again so much for being here. It's a pleasure and a joy to meet you. I wish it wasn't stopping. 
Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one on a brand new topic every Monday. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada, a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers. You can find us at style.ca or on social media. Just like this podcast, Style Canada is not just about style. It's about living a lifestyle that leaves people open to evolution and opportunity. This episode was hosted by Elise Gasparino, produced and edited by Alia Ballas. The music credit goes to Raspberry Music and was brought to you by Style Canada. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.